Welcome to the Perioperative Nutrition Podcast, sharing knowledge with clinicians to ensure all patients are ready for surgery. This six-episode series is sponsored by Abbott Nutrition, and here's your host, Dr. Paul Wishmeyer of the Duke Clinical Research Institute. Welcome to DCRI's podcast on perioperative nutrition and the optimization of patients before surgery. My name is Paul Wishmeyer, and I'm a professor of anesthesiology and surgery here at Duke and director of the perioperative therapeutic area for the DCRI. And I'm truly honored to be joined today by Dr. Saul Aronson and Abby Weddington. Saul, could you introduce yourself? It's really a joy to have you here. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me. Um, I am Solomon Aronson, as uh, Paul just pointed out. I am um, the executive vice chair of the Department of Anesthesiology and the director for our perioperative enhancement team here at Duke University. Thanks, Saul. And Abby? Thank you for inviting me here. My name is Abby Whittington. I'm a physician assistant um, under the supervision of Dr. Wishmeyer. Um, I work in the, the nutrition services here and have helped with the Poet Nutrition Clinic. So, Saul, starting with you, this was really the concept of, of poet, and, and, and I'm gonna ask you to tell us what poet means and, 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 and why, it, why it, it was named that, but this was your brainchild, and, and, and tell us about how this came to be and, and what it means. The story of POET, which is an acronym that uh, stands for Perioperative Enhancement Team, was um, born out of a brainstorming session that probably began about six years or so ago. I um, had the privilege of spending some very quality time with some smart people of the uh, MD, MBA ilk, um, who had uh, gathered uh, weekly um, to do nothing more than to sort of generate great thoughts and, and think about how we could blow things up to change the world and, and improve um, healthcare delivery. Uh, out of that was born the concept of, of perioperative enhancement team, or POET, as uh, we will be referring uh, from he here on. Um, which, which is really predicated on the, the, the basic principle that patients who are uh, determined to require surgery, declared surgical, um, need surgery, obviously, and, and um, we do whatever we have to do and can do in, in the perioperative care space to, to uh, take best care of those patients. But, but what we've recognized is that our foundational uh, paradigm uh, heretofore is flawed significantly in that patients who are often scheduled to have surgery um, on, on occasions are not simply optimized, they're not uh, completely um, prepared for that surgery. The metaphor I love to use is uh, landing an airplane. We would never consider a pilot um, uh, competent if, if uh, he or she chose to land an airplane before the wheels were down. And yet we often um, in, in the surgical uh, arena, um, you know, uh, perform surgery and perform the duties of caring for those uh, patients who are undergoing surgery without having the patients be fully optimized. And so our, our basic premise is that if people need surgery, they need surgery. Obviously emergency and urgencies are dealt with emergently and urgently. But if people need surgery, they need surgery. But uh, we believe people shouldn't have surgery until they're ready to have surgery. And so in the, in the uh, parlance of optimization, we've developed over the years a number of optimization programs, of course, of which um, identifying people who are um, not nutritionally fit to have surgery, uh, as well as other comorbidities, should be um, uh, optimized pre-surgery um, to, to better withstand the perturbation and stress of surgery. That's excellent. Yeah, it really is 
an, an innovation that we hope, and I know you hope, takes on not just here at Duke, but, but throughout the country. Because for instance, in nutrition, we know that at least in GI surgery, for instance, two out of every three patients are malnourished when they come to us and, and very few of them ever get identified or, or treated, but we know the risk of complications is threefold higher and the risk of death is fivefold higher in a malnourished patient who isn't treated. And, and so you've had some success with other POET clinics to date and, and maybe mention those and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about the, how the nutrition clinic evolved. Sure, so um, as I mentioned, this, this concept was generated by um, just simple, you know, generative discussion and some um, research into opportunities to improve the way that we had traditionally cared for patients. And the first program that we really um, developed and launched and, and have now over uh, the span of five or six years um, been benefited to see some successful impact was our preoperative anemia clinic. It's a, a situation obviously whereby we um, recognize blood management is complex. It's a medical decision that requires integration of many, many complex variables. But, but certainly the decision to transfuse or not transfuse is predicated among many things, the presenting risk factors for transfusion interoperatively, of which a preoperative hemoglobin is a very, very strong predictor. And so what we, we decided is before we really had to confront that interoperative decision algorithm to transfuse or not transfuse based on the biology and the physiology of, of oxygen delivery, that we could obviate that whole uh, step in the algorithm by, by preempting, if you will, the need to make that uh, judgment. Um, and, and managing patients who are anemic preoperatively before they even come to the OR. And so we, we implemented a process whereby we would um, check uh, for, for uh, preoperative anemia with point of care tests. And, and if the patient was deemed to be sufficiently anemic to um, likely have a behavior of transfusion interoperatively, we diverted them to a preoperative anemia clinic where they were coached and, and, and evaluated more fully to understand the, the essence of their anemia, make sure there wasn't anything terrible and occult going on there, um, and, then, and then given the opportunity to either get a, a, a IV iron or IV erythropoietin type of infusion, um, which, which postponed their surgical procedure by you know, two to four weeks or so. Um, and then we, we um, brought them to surgery, no longer anemic, and, and uh, obviated that sort of uh, risk factor. The, the results of that are extremely satisfying. We, we were able to reduce the uh, incidence of transfusion in our highest risk orthopedic procedures. These are the patients who were deemed historically to be the most at risk for the likelihood of transfusion from greater than 60% to less than 10%. So it had significant impact, and we were very proud of that. And, and, and since then, there's been some horizontal integration, other sites of services, high-risk OB, oncology, surgery, et cetera, have sort of um, uh, fallen into uh, the, the sort of corridor of, of being screened for anemia. Since then, we've also launched a preoperative diabetic clinic with a hemoglobin A1C threshold, and, um, and of course, um, we along the way developed a preoperative nutrition optimization clinic as well. And so this has been a process that was one of the reasons that brought me to Duke was to have a chance to, to do this. It's always been a dream of mine. And as part of this, one of the key features we had to do was develop a score or a way to easily identify malnutrition in our patients, one that can be built into the electronic medical record. And Abby, you have had a lot of uh, experience and spent a lot of time going to clinics and, and working with physicians and nurses and surgical uh, preoperative teams to help educate them and maybe you can tell us a little bit about the PON score and, and your experience trying to integrate that into the 
initial assessment of patients when they come to surgery clinic? Sure. Um, so yeah, we, we developed this score that's supposed to identify the highest risk um, um, patients for malnutrition so we can um, identify them easily and then um, be able to intervene um, appropriately before their surgery to reduce their risk. Um, and it consists of uh, three questions and two labs, depending on which, which team you're working with. But um, the questions are, you know, is your BMI less than 18.5 or less than 20 if you're over the age of 65? Um, the next question is, have you lost greater than 10% of your weight in the last six months? Um, and the third question is, have you eaten less than 50% of your typical intake in the last week? Um, and the two lab values are an albumin of less than three or a vitamin D less than 20. Um, if, if those labs are within those values or any one of those questions are positive, then they automatically score into the, the, the they automatically get a poet referral. And what happens when they get a poet referral? They are scheduled with um, a dietitian in, in our clinic that we've reserved space for here at Duke, um, a certain day and time that we have them scheduled. And um, we, we then see the patient on that scheduled appointment time. Um, we have them come in and we, we you know, look heavily into their chart to make sure they're appropriate and um, see if there are any comorbidities, anything we can do to optimize them. Um, and we just talk to the patient, figuring out what are their risks and um, do a physical assessment to see if, if they have any um, physical signs of malnutrition, um, but get a good you know get a good history and um, and we talk to them about how we can optimize their their diet and their supplements and um, you know we usually refer or we usually recommend an oral nutrition supplement that's very high in protein that's kind of our focus and, and how long on average does that get given for we would like at least a month of of this optimization. Um, and you know sometimes that is not possible, but that that's ideal. Um, and we follow them weekly, so we'll we'll call them on a weekly basis at that point just to make sure that they're compliant or if they have any um, barriers to them doing the intervention and and making sure they're on the right track. And um, you know we would like to we would like to see them before the surgery to make sure that that the, it's still appropriate that they're still not at, at such high risk um, of malnutrition and, and based on what we the information we gather we may you know we'll communicate with the the referring physician and saying hey they're doing great their weight's gone up their labs look better um, you know I, th I think they'd be ready now um, and then if they're not then we'll we'll say hey we, we may need some more time with these patients to optimize some of the things them. you're looking for is, is like you said their weight to stabilize and yes Definitely not downtrending. Um, no downtrending um, um, albumin or vitamin D or, um, you know, whether if they have um, other, like, kidney disease, you got to look at their electrolytes. There's so many things that, that play into this, but making sure that they're, f they're physically ready. And then you keep seeing them in the hospital. You yep. we, we have a process where you see them in the hospital. Yeah, so when they come in, we like to see them, um, you know, Sometimes it's it's after surgery because they come in for the you know for the surgery, so we'll see them right afterwards, and we make sure that they're still on the same the protocol that we have laid out for them. Um, if there are any complications or 
um, any issues to their nutrition delivery, we look at, you know, ways to optimize that as well. Like if they, you know, if they need TPN or if they need enteral feeds, um, but still trying to optimize their, their intake around surgery and making sure we don't lose the ground that we had already built for them. And then the other piece is, of course, that we use the immunonutrition formulas mm -hmm. around the time of surgery, five days before and, and seven days after. And then mm -hmm. we encourage them to keep taking nutrition supplements, the high-protein nutrition supplements, after surgery as well. Yes, for okay. at least a month, yep. And we'll still continue to follow them after surgery for a month um, and, if, and longer if we need to, if we feel like they're not doing as well as we had hoped. Um, I, would, I would continue to follow them. And then, you know, touch base with the, the primary team as well, just to give them an update of, of how things are going. Yeah, it's been remarkable. We've had some of the surgery teams reach out to us for patients mm -hmm. that are even months out of surgery oh to yes. care for them. Oh, yes. So I think that's been quite remarkable, that interaction that's been built. So I think, I think so ultimately all of this, we hope, will begin to become much more integrated as it's, Abby could attest to the fact that it's hard to get patients back for multiple visits sometimes after they've seen a surgeon. And the evolution of this, we hope, to is the PASS clinic. And, and maybe you could mention the PASS clinic and how the nutrition clinic and some of the other clinics we have might integrate into that to make this a more efficient process. So thank you for the uh, segue. PASS is another acronym. We love acronyms here at Duke. <laughs> and PASS stands for Pre-Anesthesia and Surgical Screening Clinic. Um, it's the next derivative, if you will, of the traditional pre-anesthesia testing clinic. Um, which is to say it differentiates from um, the, the common uh, pre-anesthesia clinic today, which is um, something that, that is a necessary JCO mandated step along the journey from the moment of declaration of surgery to the actual surgical procedure itself when um, it's typically um, scheduled, um, uh, you know, days, if lucky, week uh, before surgery, and, and the patient's um, clerical information is recorded, and there's an inventory of patients' comorbidities taken by the um, clinic uh, provider, and, and that information is typically passed forward to the, to the interoperative team who is uh, confronted with just this list of comorbidities and, and has to do what they do to manage the patient. Um, it's a paradigm that has um, very unsatisfying, if you will, consequences in that we, we're often having to put 10 pounds of sand in a five pound bag and, and forced to do things that we just simply don't have time to ideally do. The past clinic concept is a little bit different in that uh, once there is that, that sort of moment of confrontation and declaration of surgical need between the physician and the patient, um, the patient will be immediately sent to the PASS clinic where an exhaustive evaluative process will be performed and, and it will be determined if the patient is ready for surgery, if you will, to go back to the metaphor, are the wheels and the flaps down and is the, the plane ready to land. If, if there's a determination of need for optimization, then, then in that PASS clinic there will be a, uh, a, a referral to one of those several optimization clinics. They will be um, either scheduled to uh, occur in the same uh, physical location uh, or virtual location of the past clinic. And so um, though there are um, a number of current hub and spoke kind of uh, organically positioned clinics all over the institution, we, we will collate and coalesce them into a more centralized mechanistic way of providing that care. With respect specifically to nutrition optimization services, there will be within the past clinic a 
nutrition optimization clinic and it will be staffed with a uh, registered dietitian model and any patient uh, who's seen in our uh, preoperative evaluative past clinic deemed to require nutrition optimization services will be immediately referred over to have that consult service be provided and all of the wonderful things that Abby just described in terms of the recipe for optimization will be uh, conducted and, and, and uh, disseminated and, and coached and trained by that RD patient interaction, um, including the prescription of those uh, nutrition supplements for the patient. I think it's also important, Paul, to mention that even uh, in the instances when a patient is determined to be uh, nutritionally fit, we still advocate the idea that preoperative nutrition supplementation is advantaged uh, and, and advantage that we, we want to take care of and we, we simply subscribe to that philosophy that um, nutrition is a very, very important precursor to uh, good health and recovery after surgery. Absolutely. And, and, and I think it's, it's key that, that everyone listening realize that, that all patients can benefit, like you said, from nutrition. So I think you said it well and I think the pathway Abby described can be a benefit where immunonutrition needs for patients are, are true for all patients. This is part of our evolution as humans that we become immunosuppressed after surgery to prevent our immune system from injuring us. And the provision of immune nutrition formulas that have arginine and, and other nutrients have been shown to reduce infections by as much as 40% in many thousands of patients studied and can reduce length of stay by, by multiple days. And I think that's true in all patients, not just malnourished patients. But I think we all feel compelled, like you said, to get the wheels down on, on our planes and for our patients to be ready to go to the operating room. And I think we, we are not traditionally focused on optimizing their nutrition, identifying, as you described, Abby, with the PON score, uh, the optimum way to do that. And I think for all of you listening, the Perioperative Quality Institute, the POKI group, and the American Society for Enhanced Recovery recently has had us uh, put together some guidelines, which I was honored to be a part of and lead where all this information can be found and it will be published in the June 2018 issue of Anesthesia and Analgesia where all these pathways, the PON score Abby described and, and, and the pathways and concepts I'll talked about of giving nutrition supplements, replacing vitamin D in our patients and all the data around how to think about nutrition in your patients is available. So I encourage you all to find that article as well. Um, just some final thoughts from each of you, Abby. There have been some challenges at times implementing this. What are, what are the challenges you've seen, and, and how do you think we'll overcome them? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so I think I think when you you know start up any program, um, it, it requires a ton of communication. Um, so a lot of times we have to circle back and and speak with the teams and and making sure that they remember to do the screening and and um, if there were any any obstacles to them to refer the patient. Um, and then also in encouraging the patient when they say, hey, you, you need um, to see nutrition, to really encourage them to do that so they you know, see the importance of it um, and that they actually you know, will show up to their appointment excited and, and willing to um, just to take the advice, the recommendations that we have and understand the importance of it, help with compliance. Um, so that that's certainly a big barrier. Uh, once we see the patient, honestly, they are very welcoming and, and receptive to what we have to say. That's usually not a, a barrier. Um, they're really excited that someone's 
you know, helping them tangibly, something that they can control and do to optimize their health um, to help prepare them. Um, so it's it's more of the 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 flow of getting the referral and um, and making sure that the teams are on board and they they continue to to review the process and making sure that that everything's lined up and and working. Paul, one of the things that I'm really looking forward to. Um, uh, and, and I think would address, if you will, that, that hurdle that Abby just spoke to, um, is, is the past clinic um, really changes the paradigm in that patients are um, brought to the past clinic once there's a declaration of surgery and the need to further evaluate or assess patients' readiness is, is no longer the burden um, that we would expect um, you know, anyone to really make and unless that evaluative process is, is performed by the, the uh, providers with selective the competencies in the in the past clinic to determine readiness for surgery, if you will, and 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 so if you if you picture this very narrow corridor where everybody is funneled through the past clinic and and evaluated for their readiness, the the nutrition fitness uh, question will be addressed as per routine, and anyone um, who is to have surgery will be evaluated for their nutrition fitness and and managed appropriately, and so it it takes that variable of, of of guessing or needing to educate people how to guess properly out of the picture. And I think we're going to uh, really see some significant enhancement in our ability to manage appropriately nutrition needs prior to surgery. And I think so what you describe as a game changer for all of how preoperative care is, is, is done in, in the U.S. and around the world. And I think you really should be commended for the, the concept that all of us should be bringing our preoperative processes together so that this common screening pathway can occur and patients won't be missed anymore. Like you said, we won't miss their high hemoglobin A1C. We won't miss the opportunity to have them stop smoking. We really see this as the teachable moment in their life when they're perhaps preparing for the marathon of their life. You wouldn't run a marathon without getting yourself trained, without getting yourself properly nourished, without getting yourself ready. Yet now they're running the marathon in their life and, and you're really the trainer now. You are the lead trainer Saul Aronson, if you'd ever imagine yourself that way, teaching people how to do this. So just to be clear, we switch from a airplane pilot to a marathon <laughs> runner. I just want to make sure we get our metaphors clear. We here. like metaphors okay. too. too. <laughs> but but I really think that I, I think in a quality-based environment, right? I, I think we are all obliged to give our patients the best quality. I think this kind of clinic that addresses these needs in a consolidated fashion is the future. Of course. So. So I, I think I want to thank our guests, uh, Dr. Aronson and, and Abby Winnington, and thank the listeners. And we look forward to bringing you more content uh, around how best to get your patients ready for surgery. Thanks to both of you. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the DCRI's Perioperative Nutrition Podcast, sponsored by Abbott Nutrition. More episodes are available on SoundCloud and DCRI.org.